You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 65. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing The Christmas Invasion, which is the first Tenth Doctor David Tennant story. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Good. And, uh, you know, hey, uh, just uh, off the bat, this just occurred to me, you know, we've got a new season coming up with a new doctor and a new showrunner. And our our current uh, opening music that we use for The Secrets of Doctor Who features, you know, uh, Peter, Peter Capaldi, Capaldi and, and Jenna mm-hmm. Coleman. Uh, on the one hand, I, I kind of like the idea. We've been using this for several years now, and it's sort of our brand. Um, on the other hand, you know, do we need to update? Uh, what do you, how do you guys oh, feel yeah. about that? Do you yeah, want to need to update? Um, and well, the problem with that is, is I'm not sure I'm going to have enough material to update it with until we actually have episodes with Jodie Whittaker. You know what I mean? Unless oh. we do something different. Well, well what, what I would suggest, because, <clears throat> you know, we started this podcast during the Peter Capaldi run. And so it made sense. That was all we were covering. Now we're covering all the different doctors, and so I would probably grab little bits of different doctors, and then you can uh, use the only line we have thus far from Jodie Whittaker at the end, where she just says, brilliant. Yeah, that <laughs> see, that's that what I was... kind of be the capper for the quotes from the other doctors. See, that's what I was thinking, too. If I was more creative, I'd love to do something where maybe take little <laughs> snippets of the theme, different versions of the, the Doctor Who theme, and kind of splice them together. Yeah, but I have absolutely no creativity as far as that's concerned, and it would sound <laughs> terrible. But um, yeah, I think it would be good to maybe do something that's more all of Doctor Who. You know, we've got 50 sure. some years of Doctor Who that we could pull from to get, you know, so maybe you know, listeners could could give us their their favorite quotes from different doctors. They could send oh. us. Yeah, the most, ideas, what they the would most like emblematic hear. quote from each doctor, the, 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 the tag phrase, you know, like the 10th doctor says all on Z and. And, yep. and that sort of stuff. So, you know, what, what do you think of the best quotes from all 12 doctors so far? Yeah, but and we would, also we would be able include, to use them all. If, if you're going to nominate a phrase, include an episode that it's right. in because we need to be able to find it. Yeah. So, and we, so and we it, probably wouldn't be able to use all of them. We wouldn't be able to have all 12, 13 doctors. But, you know, maybe we not. could probably pick three or four that are really good to yeah. kind of represent. So here's what I want you to listen to. Go. Uh, Send an email to Doctor Who at sqpn.com. Uh, as a subject line, just type uh, new theme. And then in the email, you know, what's the quote? Which doctor? Which doctor is it? Not which doctor. Never mind. Which doctor is the quote from? And the episode title uh, as best you can. And then um, if we have, I've got the episode title, I can find the quote, uh, presumably. Um, I mean, it could be one that they use a lot, but find one representative example if you can. And especially, I mean, you can find it on YouTube as a as a clip or you know that sort of thing. That that works that great. That would help. Um, yep. So you know, to, so then, then drop me a link or whatever. But uh, so let's let's do that, and uh, I'll try to get that updated. You know, by the time we roll a new season around, at least, and uh, that'll be fun. We'll be have something a little something new to talk about. Anyway. So Pers- that's personally, I would personally, I would vote for 
Harriet Jones, Prime Minister. Yes, we know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, uh, that's what's coming up in, in this one. So this is um, this is the Christmas uh, invasion. This is the first episode featuring the Tenth Doctor. Um, uh, it, for so, so many people, the their favorite of the new uh, Doctors, uh, the new uh, the new the new Who Doctors. Put it that way. Um, it was the first episode of the second new season, and um, it was also the first Christmas episode. It was the first Christmas special of Doctor Who. Now, uh, we've talked before. There was a first Doctor story the, uh, called The Feast of Stephen in 1965 that sort of took place on Christmas. And at the end, they broke the fourth wall with the Doctor. It was the first Doctor. He turned to the camera and said, you know, Merry Christmas to the audience. Um, uh, but that uh, sort of isn't the same thing as what we've come to expect from Doctor Who, which is a mm-hmm. uh, a story that airs on Christmas Day set uh, around the events of the Christmas holiday uh, in yeah, some, the, one way or the another. Feast of, the Feast of Stephen was just a one-off. Right, right. It was sort of just happened to fall in that, that time period. So first Christmas special. So it sets the set, it set a tone, set a tradition that we now follow. Um, it features, uh, of course it features Rose, uh, the, com- the current companion, but also, uh, Mickey, Jackie, and the aforementioned Harriet Jones who returns. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so let's see, let's listen to the sound of the trailer and then we'll get into the discussion of the Christmas invasion. transmitted live tonight on BBC One. Help us. Please, Doctor. Help us. Now leave this planet in peace! Rose! The Doctor wouldn't do this. The old Doctor, the proper Doctor, he'd wake up. He'd save us. You will surrender or they will die. Did you miss me? I'm sorry, who is this? I'm the Doctor. He's the Doctor. You come back in with mommy. They're gonna jump. They're all gonna jump. Surrender or they will die. Your choice. The Christmas Invasion. It's so the story, uh, basically in a nutshell, is that uh, let me see here. Uh, it's Christmas Eve, high above London. The alien Sycorax are holding the Earth for ransom, and the Tenth Doctor is still recovering from his regeneration, uh, and and has to do so in time to save the human race from uh, slavery. Basically the story. Um, I like that the we, we open, we open zooming in from space. I think that's a, is that a common thing we see in Christmas specials? Well, it, it's kind of a co- become a common theme for new who, because you remember the first Rose started with, you know, zooming in from space all the way down right. to Rose waking up in her bedroom. Yeah. So it's kind of become a, at least it, it, for the first couple of seasons, they would do that on a regular basis. Okay. Well, and then we, but we also see it in the, um, uh, the, the, the season, fi- the, the, well, the doctor finale and Christmas special for David Tennant, um, where we have, um, the end of time, the end of time, right, yep. uh, which what's his name? Uh, Rassilon, uh, doing the narrative over a, a shot from space. So we had a, f- a few Christmas specials where they, where they did that. Uh, the one with the Titanic, uh, where we had a view from space. I just thought that was a common element in the Christmas specials. 
I don't know. It may be. I don't know if it's particular to the Christmas specials, though. It's just what it is really is it's an ultimate wide angle orienting shot. It tells and, you what planet we're on. Yeah. And I'm trying to trying to remember if we've seen anything like that with uh, Stephen Moffat when he took over. It almost seemed like that was something Russell T. Davies really liked. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think. And I the, can't really think if we ever saw anything after uh, the Matt's when Matt Smith took and Stephen we, Moffat took over. We may have it on um, on a Christmas Carol. Because that's set on another planet, and they may use an ultra-wide-angle orienting shot to tell us we're not on Earth for that one. Right? That's true. That's true. Uh, just a, So it was just a passing thought on that one. Um, oh, you know, um, we were going to talk about feedback, and I completely got derailed uh, uh, talking about the theme show. Uh, guys, you want to mm. talk about the feedback that we've gotten now, or now that we've gotten into the discussion, you want to hold that? Well, we're kind of into the show now. Why don't we do it at the end of the episode? Okay. Yep. I, I apologize. I have a, I, I don't, I don't think in many directions that I'm dealing with daylight savings time. Uh, so, well. you know, it's, it's, I'm still tired. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sorry about that. We'll get, we'll get, we've got uh, listener feedback. We'll bring it up at the end of the show and it's, uh, it's some good stuff. So I, I want you to stick around for it. Um, one other thing I noticed, another thing that happens a lot in, I think in almost every Christmas episode. Um, and I do know that it's in, uh, both Russell T Davies and Stephen Moffat's Christmas episodes is the song we hear Merry Christmas, everybody by Slade. Um, we see it in the uh, the one with uh, Santa at the North Pole, uh, where uh, Peter Capaldi, Jenna Coleman, you know Clara in the in the Twelfth Doctor, and they're on a supposed moon base, and the girl has to walk through the ward uh, without waking up the aliens, and so she's got um, she's got the music on. Like even in that one, that's that song. So they really like this song, "Merry Christmas, Everybody." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's popular in England or something. <laughs> it must yeah. be. It must be. I, so, so let's talk about this episode. Um, yeah. Um, in to my mind, so this is our first real Christmas special, and there's been a mixed run of Christmas specials. To my mind, this is where it starts to go. Uh, they they kind of get off on a bad foot. <laughs> right. Um, it starts to go bad right to, from the start. <laughs> yeah, they're they're trying to jam a Doctor Who adventure into Christmas, and sometimes it can work really well. I love a Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. um, but other Christmas specials tend to be really pretty lame. The the whatever it's called, the widow in the wardrobe one is awful. And Mm. they don't recover until the return of Dr. Mysterio, where there's barely any Christmas in it at all. Right. This this one, the first time out, they're really trying to do Christmas in a big way. So we get killer Santas and killer Christmas (laughs) trees. And it's like this just isn't this is pretty lame. Right. Um, and also it's been pointed. So that's one strike against it is um, it's got ridiculous monsters. Then it has um, the it's since it's a regeneration episode, um, David Tennant is only is kind of taken out of his own story because he's asleep mm-hmm. half the time and he gets switched on or off purely by plot convenience so one minute he'll be alert and functioning and then back to sleep. And mm. he doesn't stabilize till the end of the episode. So between the the lame monsters and David Tennant not being in his own story, 
that he should be the focus of, it's it's got a couple of significant strikes. Having said that, I like what they do with Jackie and Mickey in mm-hmm. this episode. They're both more sympathetic. They're proceeding along their sympathy arc. Mickey in particular is shown as being more responsible. He's got a job he's holding down. He's, you know, that's great. Um, he's, he's not just, you know, a loser. Uh, I liked that. Um, one thing I've wondered, and I don't know the answer to this, but one of the Christmas traditions in England is something called pantomime or panto in popular usage. And what that is, is it's a performance of, uh, of a comic nature. They're kind of, they're family friendly, um, but it's, it's like deliberately silly and you have even established actors doing panto at Christmas and it, it's, it involves audience participation and it's comic and, co- and silly costumes and stuff. And I kind of wonder if the silliness of panto at Christmas time is influencing the silliness of this episode, particularly with things like the killer Santas and the Christmas trees. It, I don't know that that's the case, but it's something that occurred to me as I was watching it. You know, See, I, didn't, I didn't put anywhere near as much thought into this as Jimmy did. I just I looked at it as a silly, fun episode. No, it's not a great episode. And um, it probably could have been done a lot better. But I, I just looked at it as, you know, they wanted a lighthearted adventure episode for Christmas. And I, mm-hmm. I think it really did that. And I agree with Jimmy on, on uh, Jackie and Mickey's characters really much better, much better presentation of those characters in this episode than you have in the first season. That's for sure. I mean, we're, we're definitely seeing the development of these characters as much more sympathetic, much more uh, enjoyable characters when they're actually on the screen. You don't mind it as much as you did the first season. You know, first season, you're like, get, get them out of here. We don't need to see them. So I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the these aliens, the killer Christmas tree and the and the robot Santas, which we will see again in the next Christmas special uh, that mm-hmm. features Donna uh, Noble for the first time. But the explanation in the, in the show, I didn't like, I didn't get it. They're, they're pilot fish. Like it just seems mm-hmm. so extraneous. Like we're straining to include these Santa Christmas elements in this show to the point of where like, we're just, we're, Call, you know, we're creating this well, other whole other plot device, which is well, and, you just know, they called them. They could have called them scouts, you know, like they're they're advanced scouts for the Sycorax or mm-hmm. anything like that. But instead, they, they call them pilot fish. Well, they probably pilot. didn't call them advanced scouts for the Sycorax because the Sycorax just seems so devoid of humor or whimsy that mm-hmm. the, the, that it just bar- you can't even imagine them creating the Christmas tree or the Santas. Yeah, I, I think I actually like the pilot fish illusion here. Um, my question is, how does he know they're pilot fish just from looking at them? Um, but I, I, on a on a narrative level, I mean, the, if you if you're gonna have killer Christmas trees and killer Santas in your story, they can't be the ultimate villain because that would just be you know ridiculous. If you have mm-hmm. you know the head killer Santa or the head killer Christmas tree is the ultimate big bad for the episode. You need a more menacing villain later in the story 
to consolidate the drama, even mm -hmm. if you want to use the silly monsters up front. So they needed to transition away from the silly monsters to something more threatening. And the pilot fish explanation is a reasonable one, because if you have a shark or whatever, and it's got pilot fish, you know, guiding it or helping it out or whatever, the, it, it probably doesn't really care about them too much and would be happy to eat them. And you could imagine a similar phenomenon occurring with alien races where, uh, you know, you kind of have this minor servitor race that the bigger ones are like, okay, who cares about those guys? But they're doing something useful, so we'll tolerate them. Mm -hmm. I, I think they just wanted the, the Santa so they could have the gr grenade launcher tuba. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's it's a it's that element of you know, connecting to a pop culture elements, you know, that, that people would recognize. And these, you know, Santa's on a street corner playing music is one of those. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about the Doctor's Regeneration. This is the first regeneration for a large audience. You know, again, mm -hmm. New Who, where they were reaching out to new new uh, fans and a new audience. And so they have to introduce the idea of what is, what it ent is entailed in a regeneration. What happens? Like wh what should I expect? And I think maybe that'd be one that might've been one of the reasons they, they dragged it out a little, uh, but not, but to poor effect, I think, I think uh, Jimmy's mm -hmm. criticism is, is apt. Um, but you, know, so we have these things like where Jackie doesn't recognize him. What do you mean? It's a doctor, doctor who, which is, Probably the second yes. most common joke on Doctor Who after it's bigger on the yes. inside, uh, but, but <laughs> we get we get that several times. You know, uh, Harriet Jones doesn't recognize him, and you know who is this man? And 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 so so that we get that so that idea, and we also get this different personality. I mean, he he is very different in some ways uh, from the Ninth Doctor. And so everybody has a sort of period of adjustment. Rose doesn't know what to expect, um, you know, and and Mickey's kind of well, Mickey's kind of on the edge on this. But uh, even Jackie is, well, ja Jackie is Jackie. I mean, she, she gets the old "What else does he get to of" uh, line in there, mm -hmm. uh, which is yeah. just it's an unfortunate way of, that they portray Jackie as this kind of uh, cougar. We've talked about like the the unfortunate portrayals, yeah. uh, characterization mm -hmm. of Jackie. Now they're making her out to be a cougar of some sort. Well, I think she was always a cougar, but yeah. uh, I mean, she's always talking about her boyfriends that we never see. Right. Um, but there was a nice moment here for Jackie where Rose and Mickey are standing in the doorway of the bedroom looking at the doctor in bed. And Jackie is sitting by the bedside, just collapsed with her head on the bed just mm -hmm. to be there to sit by the doctor's side and I guess be there to care for him if he wakes up or needs something. And yep. and Jackie doesn't even have any lines there, but it's a very human moment and she's genuinely caring for this guy, even though he's just changed his appearance and she doesn't like him, but she's still willing to sit by his bedside to yep. help him out. That's right. Yeah, that's true. The, 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 like you said, the, the Jackie and Mickey of these of this episode is is measurably better than the the ones of the first season, but um, there's still yeah there's there's still elements of those unfortunate initial characterizations in it, um, and then we have uh, Mickey who like we said is is uh, has improved, but we still get this this weird split that Rose is like this weird triangle between Mickey and Rose and the doctor and that's been continuing. And it's just her reaction is, is seems so wrong, you know, just like, 
she's got that girlfriend reaction in, in a sense, which is we've all, we've said before. It's it really is creepy toward Mickey, but then Mickey mm-hmm. gets this. Well, can't we just celebrate Christmas for a little while without having to worry about whether the doctor is dying? Well, that's yeah, not exactly. really the spirit of Christmas, there, Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> so you yeah. have you have the, the this dynamic going on in the in the home. Well. And, you know, and, and he's, he's doesn't want to talk about the TARDIS, doesn't want to talk about her travels, but that's all she's been doing for the last year or so is traveling and seeing things and doing things. And, of course, she wants to talk about it. Right. At, this, at the same time, you know, if you're Mickey and you've been ditched and, you know, she's off having this magical adventure while you're holding down a job in a garage, maybe you have a limited patience for hearing. You'd like True. to hear something else. Yeah, that's true. You like you want her to come home and just because he was, you know, obviously listening for the sound of the TARDIS. As soon as he heard it, he came running. You know, this mm-hmm. he's still he's still very much infatuated with Rose and uh, and yeah, having to hear about her grand adventures with some other guy all the time. I'd get sick of it too. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be a little callous about it. Um, so the, uh, another element of this um, I just noticed was like Jackie saying, "Let's take him to the hospital." And uh, I was remembering how well we recently watched the uh, the last time the doctor went to the hospital unconscious uh, as the eighth doctor. It didn't go too well. No, <laughs> he regenerated again. Only regeneration due to medical malpractice. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, the two heart problem at the time. Um, yep. Yeah. So. Uh, so then we get this the 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 introduction of this this element of this. British uh, Martian probe uh, called Guinevere, mm-hmm. which I love the name, um, mm-hmm. being sent to it's on its way to Mars and is due to land on Christmas Day, of course. And it's intercepted by this alien vessel. And uh, they see this image of uh, of an alien on the screen. And it's um, they say it's the, the first absolute proof of alien life, at which point I said, Except for the time that that alien spaceship crashed into Big Ben, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the well, last time before that, and the time before that, and yeah. the time. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Just one of many things you kind of have to overlook on this show in terms of, I mean, they've established that they have cover stories they use whenever there's an alien incursion. But, you know, it's not really plausible, as is the dynamics of how the the link with the space probe is supposed to work, too. Real space probes don't have communications that work that way. Right. Um, yep. But, by the way, while we're on the subject of the aliens hacking into the space probe um, and appearing on the screen and that kind of fuzzy thing, there may be a buried allusion there to an actual event from Doctor Who history. Um Back in 1987 in Chicago, here in the U.S., they were playing Doctor Who on a local television channel, and a guy wearing a Max Headroom mask hacked <laughs> the signal and ra- raved for several minutes. Um, and it's like the most famous hacking of a TV signal That's incident. Funny. And uh, some people have suggested that they're maybe in some way paying homage to that with the Sycorax also hacking Doctor a signal on Doctor Who. That's funny. Oh, that is You know, what it was funny is when I saw that, you know, the four Sycorax kind of lined up in front of the, the camera there on the screen, all I could think of was a Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody video <laughs> where the four members of Queen are lined up the same exact way. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's true. Uh, very, and- very frightening. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, 
We also get the uh, the first appearance of Unit in the New Who, right? We didn't see Unit with the Ninth Doctor. Did Second we? time they were they were in the the Slitheen episode, the first Slitheen episode. Oh, very right. briefly, very briefly. What we what we do get is the first mention of Torchwood, and yes. we yep. really don't know what that is uh, at this point. Harriet Jones, who we need to talk about in a minute, Harriet Jones says the UN doesn't even know about Unit, and she's not supposed to Torchwood. Torchwood. Um, no, the UN doesn't know about Torchwood. Yep. Yeah, you said and, unit. Oh, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I was brain collision. Yes. Um, yep. But uh, so we have that as an emerging theme. And so this is one of the we have no idea what Torchwood is at this point. So let's so uh, we'll put a pin in that because they don't really we don't really go very far with that except at the very end. So we'll we'll, we'll come back to that. Um but let's talk about Harriet Jones, uh, the, yeah. who, who we last saw was uh, in the rubble of 10 Downing Street with the uh, end of the Slovene and uh, the doctor. Only good, only good thing in that two parter was Harriet Jones. She's awesome. Right. <laughs> oh, yes. A- and the doctor predicting that she would become prime minister and usher in a golden age for the UK. Yeah. Uh, and so we're apparently in the golden age at this point in 2006 or uh, Christmas 2005. Uh, the, with the uh, that's when this episode aired. Um, uh, literally, we know that the uh, global economic collapse would come a couple years later, but nevertheless, <laughs> Harry Jones had a brief golden age, and uh, well, very brief. So, okay, so Harriet Jones, she's got her nice, endearing Harriet Jones, prime minister. Yes, we know who you are thing going, yep. and that's nice. Then there's also some stuff that's not so nice here. Which is really a little bit of anti-Americanism, um, because when the Sycorax show up, uh, she gets a message from someone saying the president on the lo- of the United States is on the line, insisting that he take charge, and and she then says he's not my boss, and he's certainly not turning this into a war, and and right. what you've got here is some digging at America. Because so George Bush was the president at the time. Yep. And Tony Blair had followed George Bush into the Iraq war. And that's what she's reacting against. She's mm-hmm. she's being a defiant non Tony Blair. And it it just comes across, though, really ham fisted. I mean, yeah, the Iraq war was a big mistake um, in hindsight, at least from my perspective. But um, and and so I don't mind a little pushback on that. But the way this is presented is if the American president would just insist that he take charge of a situation occurring in a foreign country in England, of all places. Yeah. I mean, that's just not realistic. I mean, there there might be an offer like, you know, we're here to provide whatever help we can. If you need us to assume an active right. role, we'll be happy to do that. But it wouldn't be I'm insisting I'm taking charge of something happening in your country. That just would never happen. And um, and so I, I thought that was all lame. And then to anticipate the end of the episode, um, the doctor short circuits the golden age. So yep. she's had a few weeks or months in office as prime minister and then the doctor uses his six magic words or whatever to end to cause her de- political downfall, and he totally changes the future. Um, yeah. So 
let's let's talk about that. I guess you bring it since you bring it up. So the doctor is mad that she destroyed the Sycorax after having sent them away uh, using Torchwood's uh, alien technology. Uh, the, the the Harry Jones ordered the destruction of the Sycorax, and um, he says, "I could bring down your government with six six words." And then says to her aide, "Don't you think she looks tired?" And now everyone's saying, "She looks tired. She looks tired. She's when is she going to resign?" And I'm like. How, did he use some magic or some technology? Like what, or is he just insinuating that just you start a whisper campaign and it has the yeah, power to do whatever? He, he's, I think all it means is he's so, it's not magical or anything. It's just, he's so smart. He could figure out her political vulnerability right. and exploit it. That yeah, she yeah. does kind of look, she's an older woman. She does kind of look tired and you could use that against her to undermine her politically. See, that's that's, you know, I said, you know, the beginning of our recording here that I I liked the episode. I thought it was kind of just a fun, silly episode until it got to this end. I despise this ending. They could have cut this ending completely off where the sick rocks fly off and they go and, you know, some hand wave them of, oh, yes, the, the spaceship leaving orbit caused, you know, the snow to fall. So then you can have the snowfall at the end of the episode that you have to have at every Christmas episode. But they had to throw this thing in with the whole blowing up the spaceship and Harriet Jones being thrust from power and all that drives well, me up the wall. Well, that's that's the other thing is this the snowfall of ash of the, the this incinerated Sycorax. That's so creepy. That's like, that's, yeah. oh, yeah, that was awful. That that I mean, it can it evokes. Yeah, I'm sorry, but it evokes imagery from World War Two of the, yeah. the crematoriums of the, well, Rose, the Nazis. You, you, wrote, you know, Rose, oh, wow, it's snowing. No, this is ash. Ew. And then they stand out in it anyways. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And people are, you know, snowing, throwing ash balls. I Plus, you know, do you think people might notice the difference between ash and snow? Uh, yeah. So anyway, so again, another hand wavy thing. It's, it's really hard to make ash balls and ash men. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it looks and feels very different than snow. Yes. It's yeah. certainly not cold. Um so uh, so we have the, the interesting thing with the Harriet Jones with the way he ends. I mean, the doctor is ticked off at Mar- Harriet Jones. He is angry with her. And it's, uh, so far as to bring down Britain's golden age and to bring down her government. And yet when we see her again, which we will later on uh, toward the end of this, uh, is it toward the end at of this doctor's end. room? At the end. Right. Yeah, and that, at the end. At the end. She, it, it, it seems like she's not holding a grudge. She's right. Uh, uh, she's willing she's, to jump she's, in. She's been chastened. Well, yeah. and it, it really does. I think, as I recall, in the end of time episode, it really she really does say that she was in. She pretty much says she was in the wrong, and the doctor was right to call her out on it. Right. Yes. Uh, also, I think the doctor is being a bit hypocritical here. Uh, because mm-hmm. I, we're kind of working our way backward through the episode. Yeah, that's in the, okay. In the previous scene where he he fights the leader of the Sycorax um, and defeats him, it makes him, um, you know, uh, beg for mercy. And then uh, he gets tacks, his hand cut off. Yeah. And then gets um, the, then the leader of the Sycorax, when the doctor's back is turned, tries to kill him and the doctor kills him, knocks him off the ship and plunges mm-hmm. presumably to his death and says, no second chance. I'm that sort of a man. And I'm like, Okay, so you don't show like you don't show any mercy here, but you get yeah. mad when when the Harry Jones does it. I, I mean, it's different. It's one man versus a entire ship full of maybe a civilization full of people. Who knows? But still, it just it doesn't ring true. It doesn't. You know, yeah. it seems it seems unbalanced. Um, 
Yeah, so, it's a double standard being applied here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there, I saw some people wondering, is was Harriet Jones, the double standard applied to Harriet Jones because she was a woman? No, it's because yeah. it is. It's because they want it, They want to have their cake and eat it too. They want the doctor to be a tough guy, but they also want him to be the voice of morality. And yeah. so he's being the tough guy when he kills the Sycorax leader. He's being the voice of morality when he uh, dethrones Harriet Jones. It it would have happened to no matter who. I mean, he dethrones not in the same way, but. He undermines men all the time who are leaders yep. who do things he doesn't like. Yeah, yep. that's true. So uh, let's jump back a bit to uh, back when the doctor was still asleep. Um, Rose noting that she can't translate what the aliens are saying because the doctor mm -hmm. is uh, un injured and unconscious, which is interesting. So the, the, the power to translate comes from the TARDIS, but it's mediated through the doctor somehow. That's, that's interesting. At least on this occasion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the Time Lord technology is uh, fluid at best. Uh, so uh, so the Sycorax use this mind control uh, device to uh, basically take control, uh, you know, hypnotize everyone who has a positive blood, which whew, lucky here. I'm, I'm, out of the, I'm out of the woods I'm on good. that. I'm yeah, good. I'm good. I'm good too. But All right. Wow, is that stupid? <laughs> yeah, I, the blood control. Oh my gosh, blood control. Because down down to your down to your blood type. I mean, that's that's just ridiculous. I mean, yeah, the blood type diet is ridiculous enough, but then mind <laughs> blood type mind control is that's just completely <laughs> loopy. Well, like, again, how would that work? Like, there's no explanation <laughs> that makes that work. There's no logic. There's no science. There's nothing, and it's just sort of we need a device to 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 say this percentage this part of the population is controlled and the rest isn't um, you know, so it would have it would have been it would have been more dramatic if they didn't give us an explanation if just right. like we're told a third of people have gone up on the roof and we don't know why yes. we don't even know why these are uh, this right. third has done it well it's that that would have been scarier not knowing isn't this sort of the russell t davies signature though is which is he needs to give even silly explanations for everything. You know, he does, mm -hmm. there's no mysteries in a sense. Uh, you know, he, he has to fill in all these gaps, even when the, it doesn't make sense in the rest of it. Whereas Moffat would be completely content with, uh, just sort of leaving up. Well, a bunch of people are mysteriously mind controlled and I'm not telling you why. And this is it. This he, device mind controls people. It only affects a third of the population. That's it. Yes. Done. Uh, and that would, that, and that there would enrage half the, fans probably but because everyone there, there's a certain segment of fans who want an explanation for everything they want it written down and told why this happened and there's another segment of fans and this is not just doctor who fans this is all fandoms uh and there's another section of fans who who like having things left open and a bit of mystery well well, the stupid thing is they could have done something with, you know, oh, you know, DNA, the mysterious DNA that controls everything, but that there's something in a particular strand of DNA with that a third of the population has that makes them susceptible to what this device does. Sure. And that actually could have been a somewhat legitimate, although still fake science yeah. explanation, right. much more plausible than, oh, they have a positive blood. Yeah, but even then, I, it's still more it's still scarier if you don't know why, because that leaves open yeah. the possibility that it's not that it only affects a third of the population. Maybe they just picked a third at random. 
yeah. and they could pick the rest of us later if we don't do what they want. Yep. Right. Right. And I know that the, the by having the blood thing, they they connect that to the Guinevere probe, um, which has this um, sort of like the Voyager probes did. They had a, a record on them and a, and a plaque talking about, uh, you know, the Earth with, you know, trying mm -hmm. to communicate something about humanity to, out to the out to the, any aliens that might encounter it. And so they're trying to make that connection. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, frankly, this episode reminds me a lot of Star Trek, the motion picture in that sense. Um, mm -hmm. Is that that connection there? Um, By the way, with the mind control thing. So props to the show for putting the royal family on the roof, because yes, that's, that's, a genuine, that's a genuinely creepy thing. Yeah. Um, also, um, it, one of the, a nice line they have when the, when the Guinevere probe, um, you know, gets to Mars and they first see the Sycorax, they're wondering, are they Martians? And we have the line, of course not. The Martians look completely different. And <laughs> yeah. from, from Doctor Who history, they do. The Sycorax don't look like the Ice Warriors. <laughs> That's right. I thought that was, he says it just sort of casually. Of course not. The Martians look completely different. Uh, yeah. That was really good, a good line. Uh, I, I, also, I, I also liked the line we heard in the trailer of the old Doctor, the proper Doctor. Yep. Because that's how you would feel if you had met, you know, if your first doctor was Christopher Eccleston, he would be the proper doctor to right. you. Yep. And to many fans who were who are new to Doctor Who. Um, mm -hmm. So that that was good. Uh, we, we do see more of Mickey's amazing computer hacking abilities. He is being wasted. As a computer, and, as a car mechanic. No kidding. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> he should be given a job at the top. Just a basic laptop hooked up, basic laptop hooked up to dial up, not even, you know, Ethernet, not, <laughs> you know, dial up. And he's able to hack into unit. Yes. Well, if he's anything like Jeff Goldblum, he could have used it to in insert a virus into the Sycorax main computer. Uh, for your Independence Day references, no, he there. didn't have he didn't have an old MacBook. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. I was going to say he didn't have an Apple. <laughs> <laughs> that's his Unix. I know this. I mean, I could throw these references out all day. Bad, <laughs> bad computer movie stuff references all day. Um, I, I did note that the Sonic Wave. Remember the Sonic Wave that didn't knock right. anybody off the edge of any of the roofs. By the way, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like everybody's standing there in their slippers on the edge of a roof. Um, interesting. Rose's instinct was to hide in the TARDIS. Uh, mm -hmm. knowing that the TARDIS would survive anything, um, grabbing Mickey and 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 uh, Jackie and the uh, the unconscious Doctor, getting them into the TARDIS, trying to get you know um, supplies, and then just hunkering down. I just thought that mm -hmm. was an interesting uh, idea for, on her part. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, I go ahead. By the way, one thing we we mentioned just it, it went by really quickly. But in his fight with the Sycorax, the Doctor loses his hand, right. and regenerates a new one because he's he's still in his regeneration cycle. He can yeah. he has the ability to regrow a hand, and that's something new. Um, we haven't seen that before in a regeneration, so that's kind of neat. It's, it's a fighting also, hand. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's also it's also somewhat plausible. I mean, actually, humans, when they're small, when they're little, have the ability to regrow parts of fingers. Yeah. And obviously, salamanders can regrow entire limbs. Um, so it's not implausible. A regenerating Time Lord could regrow a hand. And then, as we know, in later episodes, that hand is going to be a plot point much further down the line. Yes, yep. it's an important plot point later on. 
uh, we get the I think the first question, the regeneration question, am I a ginger? Yes, that's uh, yes. the first ginger question. <laughs> the doctor's obsessed with being redheaded, uh, so that, that's good. Uh, and the doctor also gives goes on about the, the the change, the physical and personality change that he's gone through, which I I found was a a, a good way to get new fans up to speed on on regeneration. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was yeah. well well handled in that case. Um, and also, like every doctor, immediately after regeneration, he's not just obsessed with uh, with things you would expect he's also obsessed with clothing gotta go gotta go get the new the new clothing that's what regeneration (laughs) is all about so he does go to his vast wardrobe um any easter eggs i think i saw the fourth doctor's scarf and the third doctor's smoking jacket Um, i was looking i didn't see i didn't see it but i i saw a a multicolored scarf it might not have been exactly the fourth doctor so i'm not the expert that you guys are so this was still there was more than one this was still kind of an era that they weren't looking to do the Easter eggs as much as yeah. Stephen Moffat was. Although um, in, in Classic Who, they were doing this with um, uh, the Sixth Doctor episode we just watched, oh, yes. um, where mm-hmm. we saw some uh, Easter eggs there. Oh, absolutely. You know, it was, it was funny, too. I was, I was commenting um, as we were watching, you know, I've got a, the seminarian who's Eric, who's here, and we were watching the episode and I said, you know, David Tennant and Peter Davison have one thing in common. Both wear their outfits would look not out of place in contemporary England. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, although Peter Davison, off. it's a little off. I, I, Apart I, from I, the I really, little, <laughs> yeah, the celery. The celery. Um, but even the cricket part, I've, I, I, I was listening to a big finish um, audio where uh, it was it was a Peter Davison story, and it had the master in it, and the master was making a comment about how Peter Dav- Davidson dresses like no one in the history of cricket ever. And I and I and I, and I went and looked and at some cricket costumes online, and it's like, yeah, it's not quite as it's not. I mean, it's evocative of a cricket costume, right. but it's not exactly the same thing. But you're right; it, it would, apart from the celery. You know, you could you could see him. It wouldn't look that strange. Sir, also, yeah. also, um, David Tennant's doctor is uh, consciously patterned on Peter Davidson's uh, mm-hmm. on Peter Davidson's. Um, they had kind of been hoping Christopher Eccleston would be like a Tom Baker kind right. of zany, but also with an edge. And so then for uh, they wanted a friendlier one because each doctor is a reaction to the previous one. And so after Tom Baker's edge, but zany, they did Mr. Normal, good boyfriend, young, handsome guy, doctor with Peter (laughs) Davison. And now they're doing the same thing. Younger, more normal, friendlier, good boyfriend, doctor with David Tennant. Yeah, and we, and we we and we do see the start of the the doctor's my boyfriend with the hand holding between David Tennant and Rose or the doctor and Rose. Yeah, at the end of the episode, and the fact that they they pattern the uh, the the tenth doctor on the fifth doctor is very interesting. Only be, also because David Tennant is Peter Davison's son-in-law, which I just I can't get over. Like, yeah, that's it's hysterical. He is now. Yes, he yeah. is now, and he wasn't at the time, which is uh, very funny. They, they met on recording the doctor's daughter, who was played by the doctor's daughter, who actually yeah. is the doctor's daughter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't and wait till we get her, to that episode. <laughs> and who's getting her own big finish series? Right, the doctor's oh, nice. daughter. That'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be fun. 
So uh, another element I liked was um, Rose when she's standing up to the Sycorax. She's kind of you know, she's a uh, sort of the the first incarnation of what Clara eventually becomes. Sort of the the you know, in fact, Clara becomes almost a a, a human doctor in the end uh, as she goes mm. off with uh, me or Mimi what he does too. Right, right, but 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 Clara gets her own TARDIS and her own right. companion, and but here's like Rose is is the first companion who kind of stands up and when the Doctor can't and sort of tries mm-hmm. to to do doctoring, you know, whatever the Doctor yeah. does, um, and and it, it was amusing where you know she invokes the Shadow Proclamation, uh, in, and in all starts. The- Randomly throwing out names. <laughs> exactly. And the sicker acts, they call her bluff, of course, um, which is when the doctor then has to show up and save everybody's bacon. Um, so uh, I did. So the one other point, um, just uh, this is uh, one of those American versus British moments. Uh, he, The doctor had the fruit that he used to uh, to hit the button that knocked the 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 Sycorax leader off the um the the spaceship he called it a satsuma and i'm like what is a satsuma like it's like an orange it turns out that's the british name for a tangerine also mm-hmm. called a christmas orange which we see several right. times in christmas episodes um and traditional to eat them at christmas in england right exactly so uh just for american listeners who did, weren't aware like i wasn't um, there's there's one thing I noticed in here, you know, the doctor says that line about this planet is protected. Yes. And of course, we heard that again on the 12th, on the, the regeneration episode, the uh, Christmas episode for uh, Peter Capaldi, where he, he said this planet is protected. And the first doctor looks at him by who? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, what? So one last one last thing from my point of view, and then I'll ask you if you have any other uh, stuff to, to, to talk about with this episode is we we. Because it's a Christmas episode, they have to kind of invoke the spirit of Christmas and they talk about you know, the spirit of Christmas's birth and rejoicing and the launching of a satellite. And I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so it's a secularized Christmas that we're looking at, you know, that that you know, all of the Doctor Who epi- Christmas episodes all sort of they never quite get to the heart of what. Well, Christmas really is, which yeah, is that's, that's funny. It's, you know, they say that it's, it's, you know, it's about birth, birth of who exactly. it's about rejoicing, rejoicing in what? Yes. Uh, in yeah. fact, the, I think the only time we, we really get close to it is again in end of time when, um, uh, Oh, Donna's fa- uh, grandfather, um, ends up going to the, going to the church where yep. he encounters who we some people think is the doctor's mother, um, or, mm-hmm. you know this this time lady, and uh, and that's about as close as we get to the real meaning of Christmas in a Doctor Who Christmas special. And and in that one, Timothy Dalton's Rassilon calls it a pagan holiday. <laughs> Although uh, some have suggested, I saw some feedback after we commented on that episode where someone suggested that Time Lords would view any human holiday as a pagan holiday. Right from his and, point of and view, that's a legitimate, and that's a legitimate. Comment. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it is legitimate on one level, but I also think there's a there's a buried thing in Russell T Davies' writing that yeah. you know is wanting to say even from a human perspective, it's a pagan holiday. A subtle day because that that's a popular myth out there that this is based on Saul Invictus or Saturnalia or one of the other pagan mm-hmm. holidays, which it's not. Right. Uh, the the pagan reference does recall to mind the uh, the martyrdom of Saint Polycarp. 
who uh, was a was a disciple of Saint John the Evangelist, mm. and as an elderly man was was arrested by the Romans and brought in before the crowd in this arena of this city of Smyrna, and uh, the Roman governor says to him, "Denounce the pagans," which you know, which is referring to the Christians, because from a Roman point yeah. of view, the Christians were pagans. And Polycarp looks at the crowd of jeering Romans and waves his hand at them and says, "Away with the pagans!" It's, it's one of my favorite. Yeah, uh, martyr stories. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I just—it was a chance for me to bring it up. Yeah, I love Saint Polycarp. Uh, so, uh, anything else you guys want to bring up? Um, the 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 sword duel with the doctor and the Sycorax leader with the hand getting cut off, reminiscent of Empire Strikes Back. You know, or <laughs> anything. Yeah. Any other weird references you want? You guys want at least at least the Sycorax didn't turn out to be the doctor's father. Yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, there is a reference to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He, uh, he did. He did have a kind of frightening mask, though. Well, so, he did. You know, he did. Could have yep. been. <laughs> yeah, I like that line. It's a helmet. They might be like us. Uh, no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, there is a, a, a reference to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with former Doctor Who script editor Douglas Adams uh, wrote. It, it was the Doctor referred to the bathroom in pajamas he's wearing as very Arthur Dent, which was mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Uh, oh, a nice I missed reference. that. Um, so that's, uh, I mean, anything else? Oh, and the doctor quotes from the Lion King at one point. Um, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> that was a, that was a good reference. Um, anything I else you want to say? I about think it? I've, I think I've said about all I had to yeah. say about it. Um, okay. but we have some feedback to talk about. Yes. I would love to bring up some of the feedback on previous uh, shows we've talked about. So, um, Matt from Ithaca again, uh, sends us some nice feedback. Uh, uh, Matt is indeed a, a, a doctor who fan who goes deep into episodes and deep into his feedback. So let me read you a little bit of, uh, his, um, references. So he's, he's talking about, uh, the doctor, the, the 12th doctor episode twice upon a time. So he's, uh, just getting around to, to uh, send us some feedback on that one from uh, last season. He says on uh, Peter Capaldi's admonition to his future admonition to his future self about not eating pears. Um, Jimmy is partly right about this being a callback to uh, the Paul Cornell's episode, human nature. But I think the explanation he heard is a bit garbled. There is indeed a scene that shows the doctor's recorded instructions to Martha. She reviews the first few points on the list and fast forwards to the end. Uh, the part about not eating pears is skipped over, but that's not the only item that's obfuscated. Uh, luckily, the full recording was released as a DVD extra on YouTube. Uh, you can find it, uh, which mm-hmm. includes very minor spoilers for the episode, he says. Um, and that's and so the simpler reason for omitting pears is um, that's the simpler reason for omitting pears rather than the BBC not wanting to put children off their fruit. Um, <laughs> so that's... that's well. It, I, it, I I didn't say that that's why the BBC did it, if yeah. I recall correctly. I just said that's what some people have proposed. Right, right. Um, and then uh, he said, referring to the uh, rege- the the regeneration from twelve to thirteen, uh, said you all sounded a bit unhappy about the way the TARDIS was destroyed by twelve's regeneration. Uh, he said uh, it's easy to come up with an in-story explanation for this phenomenon, though. Consider nine and eleven had normal regenerations, but ten and twelve's were both accompanied by an unusually explosive release of energy that set the whole space on fire. Uh, which is true, because they, they've been holding back from regenerating. Uh, what's the difference? <laughs> 10 and 12 were both actively suppressing, um, sticking a cork in the regeneration bottle, where 9 and 11 let things proceed naturally. Well, but you can't exactly say 9's was 
natural or normal because he absorbed all the time energy of the TARDIS, quote unquote. And you can't say Eleven's was normal either because he explosively destroyed a fleet of Daleks with all the regeneration energy the Time Lords had just given him. Right. So. Yeah. Um, I I, th- I think the real reason is, and I I wasn't un I, I wasn't unhappy for any in story reason. I mean, if you're in the TARDIS and you're having explosive regenerations these days, which all four of the new Who doctors have had in one way or another, they've all had big massive energy influxes, um, then um, or outflows. Um, if you're in the TARDIS, okay, maybe it's going to get racked. That's not the uh, the thing that I don't. It's not that I find that implausible. It's that I find that something I've seen before, and it's transparent excuses just to get to redesign the TARDIS, yeah. right? And have a big have a big apocalyptic ending to the Doctor. Well, and it's and I'm not, you know, I'm not opposed to redesigning the the TARDIS, you know, with regenerations. I mean, well, heck, look yeah. with uh, Matt Smith; they redesigned it halfway through his era. Yeah, and the doctor it just, it just shows up with a new a new TARDIS set. Yeah. Okay, great. The, you know, the there's doctor, ways they could do that within the storyline that doesn't involve destroying the TARDIS. They could do something where, as the doctor's regenerating, the TARDIS itself is regenerating around him. Or they could do something like the, that. Or just as the doctor changes his clothes after regeneration, he could change his desktop settings on the TARDIS. Hit a couple of buttons on the console and it changes. Yeah. 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 There's ways to do that. That doesn't involve this fireball inside the TARDIS. Which we've seen before is the point. Seeing it once is fine, but once we've seen it, we don't need to see it again. Yep. Uh, Then he says, uh, his last point, um, you mentioned 12's ring slipping off the new doctor's finger after regeneration. Uh, And he says, do you know why he's wearing a ring in the first place? It's a nice little detail. Apparently Capaldi didn't want to take off his wedding ring during filming of the series. So they crafted the doctor's ring to fit over this and and to conceal what it really was. That's cool. uh, Previous doctors did have rings though. I did. I didn't notice that on occasion. Yeah. On occasion. Uh, So uh, thank you, Matt from Ithaca for that. Um, And then on, uh, our most recent episode, uh, New Who episode, Boomtown, uh, Amy Flowers said a comment on our Facebook page. She said, uh, I, I like these slower, more character-focused episodes. They're a good break from the action-adventure-based stories. Uh, she liked, she agreed with our, 100% with our, our assessment of Rose's mistreatment of Mickey. Um, that's, uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're, all on, we're all in uh, Team Mickey here. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I don't think any of us dis- dislike the idea of the more character-driven episodes. I think those they can be done very well, and I th- and I'm sure we will talk about some in as we go through the series of we're excellent talk- character character-driven episodes. We're going to be this talking was just about not one of them. We're going to be talking about a character-driven episode next episode of this podcast. In fact, exactly. Yes, uh, going back into classic who. Um, she says Jimmy's thoughts about regressing Margaret to an egg and whether it was right or wrong was interesting. And when he extended it to wiping someone's mind brings my thoughts directly to Donna Noble. And she gives the disclaimer that Donna is her favorite. So she'll always mention her when she can. Uh, I love Donna too. <laughs> I won't go into a rant about whether or not the doctor's actions in wiping her mind, despite her pleas for him not to were right until we get to journey's end, which is that, that episode. Uh, but I couldn't help but wonder if Jimmy was thinking of her when he brought it up or even Clara and Bill, which also addressed the memory wipe scenarios. Uh, so Actually, no, I wasn't thinking of them. I was just thinking of it in terms of would it as a moral problem. Okay. Uh, but but yep. you're right. This is a theme that comes up regularly on the show. 
And then our friend Bennett Gillespie also comments on Facebook on that episode uh, on the, the topic of series arcs and TV shows that 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 did series, uh, se- you know, uh, season long uh, or multi season story arcs. Uh, he notes that uh, Buffy and Angel also had uh, season long arcs long before uh, right. Lost was around. So that's not a, it was not actually a new thing. Um, then I'm just looking back and seeing on our Genesis of the Daleks episode. Uh, once again, uh, our friend Amy Flowers says, um, it's discussions like you had at the end of this episode that make me happy and relieved. I'm not in charge of judging people. Uh, but to play along, I'm em- with Jimmy's emphatic no when it comes to going back in time and killing a person <laughs> before he or she does horrible things, which is kind of a theme that came up in Boomtown, by the way. I will interject. Going, going back to the can you go back and kill Hitler right. syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never had considered, however, the dangers of doing something less dangerous, like modifying that person's experience to maybe influence him or her from making those choices. That can be just as dangerous, even though it could also be seen as the better option. So uh, some strong moral issues. Well, then then we had a recent response on uh, on a uh, Twitter of of uh, just ship them to Tahiti. Yes. And let the people there take the take the child Hitler to Tahiti and let the people there care for him. Right. No Germans on Tahiti. Of course, that raises the question, uh, you know, which is a, a sort of a different question. But it raises the question is, was the rise of the of the Nazi Republic solely a Hitler thing or was would Goebbels have done something? Would, you know, someone else have done something? How many how many of the Nazi leaders would we have to have removed in order to avoid the rise of the Third Reich? So I, I, th- I think, I mean, I, I, I think that politics would have been ugly anyway, but what happened with Hitler, I think was unique. Um, I mean, I, I'm not a scholar of the second world war, but based on the reading I've done, uh, about Hitler and his regime, it does seem that, you know, it really was, even though it, it, there was pent up stuff that got released, particularly in the wake of world war one, um, that led to World War II. We might have had a war, but we I don't know that we would have had all the horrors that we actually got in World War II without an Adolf Hitler. And so it it I've, for the last couple minutes, I've been contemplating the morality of doing a Harriet Jones and going back to the 1930s and saying, don't you think he looks unstable? <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Don't you think he looks particularly murderous? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, uh, again, thank you, everyone, for your feedback. Uh, that's all much appreciated. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it, it adds to the to the the, the uh, quality of the show that we have such good and thoughtful listeners. Um, so uh, if that's if that's all we have, like we'll, we'll wrap it up for this mm-hmm. week. Um, let me just uh, take a look here. Yep. So. um that's it from us. And so what did you think of the Christmas invasion? The, this uh, first 10th doctor story, uh, let us know, give us your, your great, more of your great feedback, uh, by visiting us at sqpn.com or the secrets of Dr. Who Facebook page and leave us feedback. Uh, send us an email to Dr. Who at sqpn.com, including don't forget those, uh, suggestions of, uh, great clips and quotes from, uh, previous doctors for our new, new theme music. You can find links to all our personal social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. Uh, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing The Edge of Destruction, which is a story of the first Doctor, William Hartnell. Uh, until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining us in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. 
Always glad to be here. And thank you, Dom. And you're welcome. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, Once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, a good cup of tea is just what you need. A superheated infusion of free radicals and tannin, just the thing for healing the synapses. When will I see you again? Uh, Soon, I expect. Or later. One of those... 